I want to start tonight by telling you all a story about when I was a student and went on a retreat similar to next weekend we're going to Breakaway. I, as a sophomore, got to go on this awesome retreat called SALT. Some of you guys went with us a few uh, week, a few months ago to SALT. But at SALT, when I was a student, we had this thing called a prayer room. It was a 24-7 prayer room, and there was almost always live worship music being played in there. And it was just a cool place to get away from everything and spend some personal one-on-one -on -one time with God and pray. And so that was my, one of my favorite parts of SALT and conferences retreats when I was a student. And this particular year, I was a sophomore, and I just went to the prayer room and was really wrestling with my calling, what God wanted me to do with my life. You see, when I was nine years old, God called me to be a missionary. And as a kid, I thought being a missionary meant that I for sure would be living in a different country than the United States. And second of all, I had a really, really bad sense of geography. I still do, to be honest. But at that point in time, I really didn't know a lot, and I knew Mexico was not the United States. So I grew up saying, God's called me to be a missionary in Mexico. And here I am, a sophomore in college, and I'm like, God, I knew, know you called me to be a missionary, but did you really call me to Mexico? Was that you, or is that just my own thinking? Was that my own uh, limited understanding? And as I'm wrestling and praying through this, I tell God, I'll go anywhere you send me. I'll minister to anyone you send me to, but please, will you please send me anywhere but not to the Middle East? God, I don't want to go to the Middle East. I, I had some ignorance in my heart, some fear, a lot of misunderstanding, and I didn't want to minister to Muslim people. I was like, God, please don't send me there. And I'll tell you that story because it relates to Jonah tonight. We're, I'm actually going to finish it a little bit later and at the end tell you how God dealt with my heart. But I think if we're honest, we can all relate to this in some way. Maybe it's not Muslims. Maybe even the group of people changes over time. But we all have those people, the people who were like, man, I just don't want to deal with them. I don't want to minister to them. I don't want to share the gospel with them. I just would rather not associate with them at all. And so we've been doing this influencer series. We've been talking about different people throughout the Old Testament. And tonight we're going to talk about the prophet Jonah. Jonah was a prophet to the nation of Israel, but he had some people that he just didn't want to go to. He didn't want to share the gospel with. He didn't want to, to minister to. We're going to start, we're going to actually read most of the book of Jonah tonight. We're going to start in Jonah chapter one and start with reading the first three verses. It says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the point of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He brought, excuse me, he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. All right, so what, what's going on here? What's happening? Let's talk, I, let's look at this map and talk about the geography of this uh, for a little bit and what's happening. So Jonah is a prophet to the nation of Israel. Okay, so... Joppa is a port city in Israel. Uh, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, a whole other country, which is actually modern-day Iraq. And Tarshish is a city in modern-day Spain. Okay, so up until this point, Jonah had been ministering in Israel. And now God tells him, I'd like you to go to Nineveh and share, the gospel, share that I'm going to judge them if they don't repent, that I'm, they're not doing right, I don't like what they're doing. And so... Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria is actually, they were like the political powerhouse of the day. 
and they were using their power to harm other people. They were violent. They were hurting other nations. They just were not, weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. They weren't good people. They were not kind people. And so God tells Jonah to go and like proclaim his judgment on them and tell them to repent. And Jonah's like, I don't want to do that. So he gets on a ship going for Tarshish, which is the complete opposite direction. It goes in a completely different way um, than God had called him to. Why? Why does Jonah run? Well, first of all, the political climate. So God sending an Israelite, someone from Israel, to Nineveh would be like God calling one of us to proclaim judgment on the streets of Germany at the height of World War II. I don't know about you, but I don't want to do that. Okay, I'm not all about in the middle of Nazi occupation walking around Germany and being like, y'all are going to die if you don't repent. God isn't having this. Repent, stop being violent, walk around streets. I don't think that would end well, you know? So I kind of, I can't blame Jonah in this instance for wanting to, to go somewhere else and not to Nineveh and not, not to be there. And if that's not enough, the only other time that Jonah is mentioned in the Old Testament it tells us that Jonah's prophecies had benefited Israel politically. Okay, so now we're not just talking about a random guy, but someone with governmental influence being called to preach against his political and legitimate enemies. So given all that, I think we can understand why Jonah fled in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Okay, Here's the deal, though. Jonah did not run from Nineveh, but from the presence of the Lord. Verse 3 said it straight up. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. You know, so it's like we can understand why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. But honestly, Jonah wasn't running away from Nineveh. He was running away from God. And here's, this is kind of like the big point of what we're looking at tonight. Jonah's political loyalty to Israel was greater than his loyalty to God. So from the first three verses of Jonah, and we can learn that Jonah was more concerned with his country's political state than personally obeying God. Jonah had an idol, right? The nation of Israel was more important to him than what God had called him to do. So I know this is a lot to unpack just for the first three verses. We're gonna read some more, but I kinda want us to get a picture of what's happening inside of Jonah's heart before we move on. So it seems at first glance that Jonah's disobedient, right? God tells him to do something and he doesn't do it. But why? I keep asking that, why? Why is he disobedient? There is a reason for it. And we can use several words to describe Jonah. Disobedient, excessively patriotic, racist, apathetic, selfish. These are all just symptoms of the root problem. The root of Jonah's issues is his idolatry, right? He has an idol, someone or something that's more important to him than God. In this case, for Jonah, it was the nation of Israel. He thought that his people, their, whether it was their political whatever, their political status, the people themselves, but he thought they were better than the Ninevites, the Assyrian people. And so he's like, okay, God, I know better than you. I'm not going there. I'm going to go the opposite direction. So we're going to pick up in the next verse, verse 4, chapter 1, and see how God responds to this. A powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. 
But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it, they groaned. Okay, I just want to pause there. I didn't plan on saying this, but just thinking about this, man, the reputation that the God of Israel has, that these people who aren't Israelites and are praying to pagan gods, is that as soon as they hear that Jonah is running from the Lord, they're like, ooh, we don't want to be with this guy, right? So man, like, God had done enough stuff that people around knew who he was. It wasn't like he was just some other, other God. Like, he had set himself up as higher than the gods of all the other nations. Let's keep going. Verse 11. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were all struck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. All right, did you all catch that? Jonah says no to God and tries to run away. God sends a storm after him. Jonah knows he's wrong, so he volunteers to be thrown overboard. Everyone thinks he's going to his deathbed. But what does God do? God says, no, Jonah, you're not getting off the hook that easily. I gave you a job to do. You haven't done it. We're going to do it, right? He's not like, okay, that's it. End of your life. Like, you died instead of being obedient. He literally sends, oh, this really happened, okay? It's not some made-up story. Like, God literally sends this huge fish to swallow Jonah whole. This is not where I want to wake up. Yeah. In the belly of this fish, I'm sure it's dark and smells disgusting, and who knows what else is in there. And like, it's just awful. If you imagine that, like, I can't think about it too long, and I'm not typically squeamish, so it's just not okay, right? So, what does he do? Of course, he cries out to God. He has no other option. He's not getting out of there on his own. Like, he's not. There's nothing else to do at this point but to cry out to God and to pray and to be like, okay, God, you got my attention. And so the whole chapter two of Jonah, you can go back and read it later, uh, well, the first nine verses, almost the whole thing, is Jonah praying to God in the belly of the fish. But I want to point out the last two verses of that prayer, verse eight and nine. Jonah, in his prayer, says, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. 
Another translation says that they forfeit God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. So Jonah has this moment where he's like, man, God, you really are the most important. And it's you who gives mercy. It's you who brings salvation. It's not me. It's not my people. It's not these ideas I have. It's you. And it looks here like he's, he's repenting. He's saying, God, you're it. You're number one. That only you save. Nothing else can do it. So God hears Jonah's prayer. Right? I know we're doing a lot of reading tonight, but I, want, I feel like the story really speaks for itself. And we're going to see what happens after God hears Jonah's prayer. The Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Guess what he said? Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and to deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw that they had what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. All right, so Jonah obeys, and he's successful. He shows up to Nineveh, does the very least. You guys, what was his sermon? Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. He doesn't even tell them, this is how you repent, or God will do this if X, Y, Z. He's just like, God's going to destroy you in 40 days. God's going to destroy you in 40 days. Like, this sermon, super short, that's all he says. He doesn't even put his all into it. And the people still repent. They're like, man, maybe if we call out to God, he'll change his mind. Jonah didn't even have to tell them how to do it. They just did, right? They stopped being violent. They actually mourned their sin. They didn't just say one thing. Like, they did these big, this was customary at the time, but they put on, like, ratty old rags and mourned. They fasted. The animals even fasted. Like, they took it seriously. If I was Jonah... Y'all, I would be jumping for joy. Like, these people who are oppressing other people are going to stop. They're going to start honoring God. And, like, not only that, they heard what I said. Like, I just barely put any effort into it. I just walked around saying God's about to judge you, and now they've repented. Like, yes, talk about, like, revival and awesomeness and God moving and God working. But that's not how Jonah responds. In chapter 4, this is the last few verses we're going to read. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? 
That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Man, Jonah really hates these people, right? He's like, God, if you're not going to judge them, if you're not going to put an end to them, I don't even want to be alive. I would rather they be dead than, or I be dead than they be forgiven. Like, that's, that's how strongly Jonah feels. He was angry that God showed the Ninevites mercy. And if you keep reading the rest of the chapter, we're not going to tonight, you can, that's, that's the end of the book. Jonah's really short. But Jonah actually sets up camp. He sits down to look over the city and watch and wait for God to destroy it, even though they repented. He's just hoping, like, man, God, I don't like these people. Will you get rid of them? Here's the thing, though, you guys. He knew that the Ninevites didn't deserve God's mercy. But what he failed to realize was that he didn't deserve God's mercy either. He was just as evil and vile and undeserving of God's compassionate grace as they were. And I believe that this contrast is the wonder of the whole story. Jonah was just as idolatrous and sinful as the Ninevites, and therefore just as much in need of God's mercy. He tried to put his people, who he was, above God, just like the Ninevites were. And God chooses to offer his grace and mercy freely in the same amount to all people, regardless of what sins we've committed in the past, regardless of our race, our ethnicity, how we grew up, where we live, what we like or dislike, how we talk, anything. It doesn't matter what you put in there. God's mercy is available for you and all people alike. And because of this, right, I said we all have those people. For me, in college, unfortunately, it was Muslims, right? God uses whoever those people are for us to teach us. He uses them to teach us. We look at them and we're like, man, you don't deserve God's grace. But he uses that so that we can see we're just as evil and we don't deserve his grace either. Mm-hmm. So that what is, what's the good news in all that, though? We, as people, are far from God, right? Nothing we can do is good enough to be able to earn a relationship with him. So he sent his only son, Jesus, who is fully human, fully God, to live a humble, sinless life, die a brutal death on a Roman cross, and be buried in a tomb for three days, just as Jonah foreshadowed by being in the belly of a fish for three days. And just as the fish spit Jonah out onto the dry ground, Jesus came back to life, conquering death, conquering the grave, and the powerful grip of sin once and for all, allowing all people, including us and whoever else we don't think deserves it, to be in relationship with him once we repent of our sins, just as the Ninevites did, and choose to make him the number one priority in our lives. Not behind idols, not behind, you know, whatever ideologies we have. He's number one priority in our, in our lives and in our hearts. So I want to wrap up that story that I started with in the beginning. My sophomore year, when I was sitting in January, December, praying that God would send me anywhere except to reach Muslims, I had no idea. 
that this missions internship that I had already signed up for and was already planning on doing that summer in Asia Pacific would be sending me to the largest Muslim country in the world, which is Indonesia, by the way, right? It's in Asia Pacific, not the Middle East. I spent half my summer in Indonesia that summer, and of that time, I spent one week in a 100% Muslim boarding school. There, there was nothing, I can't even describe it, it was nothing like anything I'd ever been, experienced or been to or seen. Um, and like, those kids, a lot of those kids grew up there, they didn't know their families, they were just, that's where they had grown up, and it's to the point that like, this is so like removed from city life and its own thing that kids had, most of the kids had never even seen anyone of a different skin color than them. And so we were like, the, myself and the team I was with were like celebrities to them. Um, it was weird, it was really weird, that part of it. But, man, I don't know that any of us had the chance to share the gospel. We said, oh, we're followers of Jesus. That's what we told them, and we were there to observe and to learn, and really, we were, we were there to help the church that we were working with build a relationship with the school just so that they could keep sending teams and eventually do more. I don't think that any of the kids that we talked to or the staff we talked to that week were changed from our time being there. But I left a whole different person. Mm. So while we were there, Ramadan started, and if you guys know anything about Muslims, they will uh, do sacrifices at the beginning of Ramadan. And so we saw them sacrifice this bull. And y'all, they were sacrificing the bull so that they could earn forgiveness from God. And my heart just broke in that moment. These people that I had all this ignorance about and all this fear about, and they just want to know God. They just want to have a relationship with him like I did. And they were trying so hard to follow all the rules and, and cross all the T's and dot the I's and sacrifice the animals at the right time so they could know him. My heart broke. It still does. Because it's like, man, I was that far from God without Jesus, right? They're not, I'm not any better than them. Being born in the United States does not make me any better than them, right? It's because God in his mercy sent Jesus Right? And, and to see that picture, I think sometimes, especially those of us that grow up in church, we think, oh, I'm closer to God. But we need Jesus just as much as those kids in that Muslim boarding school. Right? We need to repent. Jonah needed to repent just as much as the Ninevites did. He needed the mercy of God just as much as anyone else. And so tonight, um, in a few minutes, we're going to take some time to like reflect on some questions. But I want to start by just asking, I want us to each evaluate have you ever admitted to Jesus that even your best isn't good enough and you need his grace and mercy to have a relationship with him? Because if you haven't, he's waiting, right? If you're like, man, I've never given my heart to Jesus. I've never made him number one in, in my life and said like, yeah, I'm trying to earn it. I'm trying to do it on my own and I can't. God, I need your grace and your mercy. Thank you for dying for me and making a way. If that's you tonight, y'all, I'm not going to have us bow our heads because I think there's value sometimes in just being honest and open in front of a group of people. If you say, I've never accepted God's mercy and made him number one in my life, and I want to do that tonight, would you raise your hand? I'm going to wait a minute. I know it feels awkward, but 
I think it's important to us to like really honestly consider this. Right. If that is you and you didn't raise your hand and you know you needed to, I encourage you to find someone afterwards to pray with. Um, life group leaders, staff, we would love to pray with you for that tonight. So tonight, instead of doing like an altar call where we all come down and, and pray, I want us to just reflect on these things about Jonah and his story on our own. Um, so I'm going to read these questions, and then after I read them, Ben is going to come and play, and uh, we're going to put them on the screen after I read them so we can just take some time in prayer. You can stay in your seat if you want to come down to the altar and pray. Uh, that's fine if you need to spread out so you're not distracted, then that's okay too. But I want us to, to pray through, is there a person or group that I believe I'm better than? Do I truly recognize that even my best efforts are worthless when it comes to earning salvation? And that I'm fully in need of God's mercy just as much as anyone else. And lastly, is there someone God is calling me to befriend and share the gospel with, but I've been resistant to do so? So Ben's going to come now. Derek's going to put those questions on the screen. We're going to pray through them. I'd encourage you to take some time right now on your own to pray and let God speak to your heart. Um, but then later tonight, maybe even before you leave this room, um, after Matt closes this up, to share that with someone. Share like, hey, this is what I felt like God is speaking. This is what I need to do. This is what I need to repent of. Will you hold me accountable to that? Okay? Because I think sometimes we can sit here and we can pray and we can feel like God is speaking something and then we're quick to forget it when we, when we walk out. Alright? So I'm going to pray to start us off and then we can just spread out if you want to and, and pray through these on your own. God, I just thank you for your mercy. And I thank you that your mercy is enough, that we don't have to try to earn our way to know you. We don't need to, um, we don't need to do anything to deserve you. There's nothing we can do. God, I thank you that you look at us all the same. You look at us all equally, and that you love us. You offer mercy to each one of us the same. God, right now I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that as we're praying, if there's... Uh, things in our heart that you want to correct, uh, idols that you want us to repent of, people that we have a wrong view of, God, would you help us, would you show us uh, that so that we can repent and so we can follow you and make you number one in our lives and we can share the gospel with those around us in the way that you want us to. Amen.